0: Welcome to the Digital Ecology Podcast. Here we create a window into the backstory of technology adoption in England's National Health Service. I'm your host, Victoria Betton. Today I have Kayakumi Shogo joining me on the Digital Ecology Podcast. Kayakumi and I first met when we were working on an electronic patient record implementation in maternity services for an NHS trust. And we collaborated on understanding the views, the experiences, and the pain points of people working on the ward and patients. And I recall us spending a number of days in a side room of a maternity ward, mapping the current workflows and having lots of conversations and observing staff at their work with digital systems. So, Kay Kumi specializes in product management, he has a startup background as well as being an expert in user research. And I'm really delighted to have him join me today so that we can have a chat about where product sits in creating value for people using digital systems and get his reflections on working in the NHS um, alongside his experience of working in other industries. So Kumi, I'm so pleased to have you here with me today. How are you?
1: I'm doing fine, thanks Victoria. It's really, really great to be here. Uh, I know it's been I think we've been talking about this for know, six, seven months now. So it's great to actually finally kind of put this in the diaries and um, be able to be here today. So, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm honored. I'm excited. Um, oh. Thanks for having me.
0: Good pleasure. So Kei Kumi, what does a product manager do? Just sort of fill us in on the role of a product manager and where, and where product sits in the sort of the wider yeah. digital team.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So I, I think to be very direct right i think a product manager i see a product manager as a business person a businessman or a businesswoman let me let me break that down why what does that mean so to be a successful business person right you need to do a couple things you need to be able to spot a gap in the market you know, that you can fill that's essentially your business opportunity you need to figure out a valuable solution so it's one thing to spot the gap but you need to figure out a solution that Customers are going to be willing to pay you their hard-earned money for over your competitors, right? You're also going to need to make sure that your goods or your your services, you know, or your products are are things that you can actually sell in the country, in the region, in the context that you operate, right? So you care about viability. And I think, lastly, probably the, the big one for me is you care a lot about how much money you're making or how much money you're losing. So you care about your profit and loss statement. Uh, and i'll tell you why i'm giving this definition it's really it's largely based on my own context Uh, it's largely based on my own experience product management is something that you know the responsibilities actually change based on the company you know based on kind of the sector that they're operating in. but i think what i've mentioned are kind of like the core things that you should expect so so for me right i I grew up i grew up in, in west africa i grew up in nigeria and in terms of business, in a developing country, economic situations sometimes are not very empowering, right? And what does this mean for people and work? You find a host of young people who trend towards entrepreneurship, right, as a way to, to, to make money, right, to run a business. And you see them engaging in market research to scope out what that competition is and the market landscape. They're doing a lot of user research to understand who their potential customers are. You're probably cash-strapped, so you're not going to go ahead and invest, you know, millions of, of pounds into this, right? So you do a lot of assumption testing early on to figure out what works and what doesn't work. With, with a low amount of investment, you know, you need to understand what brings you new customers. You're going to want to understand what keeps your customers loyal. And, and these are the things that, uh, for me, just when I reflect on kind of how I grew up and, and my experience, these are the things that I think make up the core of, of a strong product manager. When you bring this into the context of software, kind of into you know, product teams and technology teams, um, Marty Kagan, who a lot of people refer to kind of as a godfather product, I think has a really good definition for this. And it kind of syncs up nicely with everything I've just said. So this, this business person who's doing all this research and caring about profit and loss, who's trying to spot that gap in the market, to, to do all of these things successfully, right? To, to be a successful business person, you're gonna to need to have that deep knowledge of a customer. You're going to have. You're going to need to have a very deep knowledge of your data. See how you're performing. You're going to have to have a very deep knowledge of your industry. So we spoke about that kind of landscape and your market research, understanding what your competitors are doing. And lastly, I think you're going to have to have a really deep understanding of your own business. So your own finances, your own you know, part partnerships, legal legal stuff, you know, pricing decisions, strategy. So yeah, to to kind of sum it up. Those are the things that I, you know, I see a product manager as, uh, and those are the things that the product manager would bring to their team, right, and to their company. So things around value, things around viability. Those, those are the major inputs into a product team that any product manager um, can bring to to support his or her teammates. Yeah.
0: So I'm going to come back to your story and you talked a bit about entrepreneurship and I know you've worked in the startup field as well but before we go there just talk a little bit more about where the product person sits in a digital team because presumably you've got sales you've got marketing you've got Absolutely. people doing the actual development where where does the product person sit and how do they relate to all those different roles
1: Yeah so you're you're touching on a on an interesting topic there right so you could think about roles around kind of product ownership and then product management, right? It's a lot of people think these are these should be two different roles, but I, I kind of see them as one person, right? So mm-hmm. to your question, you're sitting across that entire business, right? So you have, as a product manager, you have kind of four major risks that you're trying to tackle when you're on that team, okay? So presumably, you're working in a cross-functional team. You know, not only do you have stakeholders, like you mentioned, like sales and marketing, but you're actually working day-to-day with engineers, you know, with designers, with um, user researchers, and any other kind of skills that you might need on your team. But there are four major risks that you should really be thinking about and you're trying to solve as a PM. The first is, so we've mentioned two of them already, right? so value and viability. So value, you know, customers actually buy this thing, customers use this thing. Viability does this actually work for the business within our context? And then the other two are, you know, around usability risks and um, also technical feasibility risks. So so those those two kind of sit a bit outside of the purview of a PM, but those are risks that you definitely want to be involved in and making sure you're kind of driving with your team. So usability really speaks on, you know, yeah, you have a great product, but can people do people actually know how to use this? And that's where things like usability testing comes in. Uh, you really want to work with your designer around this. And then the last one, just around feasibility, just kind of makes sense, right? Like you, you've, you've scoped out this really great product, this great solution. Yeah, you know, it's amazing. It has dials that do this and that, but can we build it? Should we build it? Do we have the technology to enable this? So those are the conversations you want to be having very early on with your engineers as well. And the sooner you can kind of tackle these risks up front, you know the less likely you are to kind of run into major issues down the line you know kind of six weeks into development so those are the things again these are not really these are not my words right but these are the, these, this is the philosophy that i believe in um and then i guess lastly you are so you're sitting across that you know development team as a product owner you know you've you've done all that great work as a in your product with your product management hat to do all that research to do you know all the things we spoke about in terms of understanding the market, scoping out a solution, you know testing out those risks very early on. But you also need to have the ability to actually go ahead and deliver. You need to actually go, you know, be able to go away and kind of build software, and you you do that with your cross-functional team. And that's when I would expect people to kind of put on their product owner hat, um, which is you know a lot more delivery focused at that stage. You're you're taking away your requirements, you know, and what you've discovered, and actually using you know, whatever framework that your team uses or however you build um, to to go away and uh, build those front-end experiences for your users.
0: So I really want to come back to usability because usability is such a hot topic in the NHS and, and so many big digital systems are criticised for not being so usable. So we'll, we'll come back to that. But you mentioned right at the beginning of this podcast about your background and I'd just love to know your story and what brought you to this point. And I think then I'm really interested in your insights as someone for whom healthcare isn't your main client or customer, Mm -hmm. what your insights have been Mm -hmm. from the time that you have spent with the NHS. But before that, just tell me your story about how you got to this point. And I'm really interested in your entrepreneurial background as well.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I did a bachelor's in product management. Uh, I did a master's in product management. I did a PhD in business development. No, I'm lying. Uh,
0: (laughs) (laughs) I was going to say that's a lot of product.
1: (laughs) Yeah, that would be amazing. No. I think, like most people, I think that's a great thing, I think, about product management is just there's so many kind of entry points, right? I'll tell you mine. So I I moved back home. So I moved back to Nigeria, I think, in 2016. I just spent two year, about two years living in the Netherlands, getting my master's in renewable energy, actually. So renewable energy management. I was dead set on, I still am, but I was dead set on going back and solving just energy issues you know in Nigeria and across Africa so that was my ambition had absolutely nothing to do with the product I guess you know for better or for worse I I couldn't find a great opportunity to do this and that made me I didn't want to be idle right so that made me kind of think a bit outside the box like what what else can I do I I had a bit of savings and I decided as I said earlier in this call right to, to turn to entrepreneurship like It's just something that was in my blood Something that I'd seen my entire life So it was a no-brainer But the only difference was I wanted to do it in a way That I, I would hedge my risks and be successful So I started my own business Very similar to like Deliveroo or Just Eat I started an online kind of food ordering and delivery service In the city that I lived, first of its kind And I built that, I ran that for about two and a half years Before leaving the business But that really was my first kind of venture or you know experience with product at the time for this two and a half years i I promise you i had no idea i was doing anything that had to do with product management but i was doing discovery i was going door to door speaking with clients trying to understand what they needed from my product so that i could onboard them onto my platform as restaurants i started with completely nothing i was going out speaking to, to members of the public hey you know would you actually like to order food oh, okay well how much are you willing to pay me those are things that we do today and i do today and i call them discovery right user research at the time i had no idea i just knew i had a problem and i was trying to solve it i spent a lot of time doing sales i spent a lot of time doing marketing i spent a lot of time doing customer service i can't tell you the number of kind of customer orders the number of customers who called me kind of pissed off why their, why their food delivery is late and i had to come up with a, a great excuse for that but essentially that experience let me work across the entire entirety of the business, right? I had to do legal stuff. I had to do profit and loss, I had to do logistics. So th- th- I think that's a great, it's a definition that I always go back to if I'm feeling a bit lost around who is a product manager and sings quite nicely with my uh, definition earlier on. I, I, I moved, before we left, I think we, from about zero, we were able to accomplish uh, over kind of 4,000 deliveries, right, with only about three, delivery riders on actual motorcycles some of those i did by myself so it was a successful operation and a a great learning experience but then i moved to the uk in 2000 late 2018 and it's kind of been i guess history ever since since then i've worked for anglin water in the water sector kind of building products across the business there i've worked for a renewable energy startup funny enough i got to live my dream and then currently i work with a consulting company a global technology consulting company called zenitech and in the last i guess two years now i've managed to work across healthcare the gaming industry online betting i've worked for clients in the travel industry and who operate in airports i've worked for companies who you know manage like national lottery for example so It's been a great experience in the last kind of two years to work across multiple sectors. And yeah, it's it's all kind of led me to to here now.
0: And am I right in thinking you're still doing some interesting stuff in Nigeria as well?
1: Yes, yes, absolutely. Um, I'm part of a team who is really, really passionate about uh, empowering Nigerians and, and Africans as a whole. I think we have an amazing source of talent, especially in tech. And, and that's something that we're really passionate about driving, right? So I'm part of a, of a team who's working to tackle one of our structural issues, which is unemployment. So Nigeria is now uh, second in the world, I believe, globally, just in terms of unemployment rates. You know, more than half of the population is unemployed. Um, you combine that with kind of other economic issues and situations and security risks and, and whatnot. It's not hard to paint a picture of how important it is to solve some of these issues. So we're trying to solve the employment problem. Our vision is to put a million people back to work every year. Um, That's something that I'm very passionate about. It's a passion project for sure. But yeah, we're we're doing some cool things. We have a, a conference that we're running in about two weeks. I don't know when this podcast will be released, so it could be kind of behind by then. But and we're looking to kind of bring product leaders across Nigeria and kind of train them up, you know, network. Uh, as part of that drive to empower nigerians yeah
0: well you don't you definitely don't have a problem in thinking big (laughs) kakumi um so you clearly (laughs) work you've done all this entrepreneurial stuff you've got sort of big passions for big sort of social purpose projects you've done some work in the nhs i'd be really curious to hear about how the work that you have done in the NHS compares to other industries and and maybe just share some of your reflections about some of the challenges and maybe the opportunities that you found there.
1: Yeah. Uh, absolutely. When so uh, as part of my work at Zenitech, at I think the NHS became one of my clients for a while. And largely I was kind of brought on to do a lot of discovery work as as I do with most of my clients. So we should we have a problem that we're trying to solve and that initially involves me doing a bit of discovery initially. I'll tell you what, Victoria, I decided to pack my bags and kind of just go on site. I ended up spending about four or five days in, in said hospital. And I, I'll tell you some of the, the benefits of that. So that's not something that I always get to do with clients. Um, most of the time I, I have to kind of work remotely, you know, run run customer interviews or other kind of research um, sessions online. but. I think one of the great advan- advantages was the fact that I know that there's a physical location where I have all the people I want to talk to. So I literally just went to bombard them. <laughs> um, first day, I kind of showed up as uh, like, who's this strange guy walking around the halls? Um, but at the end of like the fourth day, I knew my way around, I knew a couple of people and I was all very friendly. So I think that the major advantage I'm trying to pull out there is I was able to follow the people I was interested around. I was able to actually sit down with them observe, do some observation, do some diary studies. I was able to actually watch them use products that we had you know, issues with and we're trying to improve the user experience around. And that's just, it's next to none to be able to be in a position where you can see that stuff firsthand. And that really allowed me to very quickly become very conversant with users, build those personas, understand what the issues were, and then kind of identify potential opportunities to work on, right? I'd say in terms of, of negatives, I think one of the major things that was really striking was just the fact you know, about how understaffed I think they are, just as a as a body and as a team. And when you combine this with like really legacy software, software that doesn't work, it's not resilient. The user experience is really bad. There's a potential risk there ultimately in terms of just patient care, right? Which is what they're there to do. So I think that's, that it was very challenging. It was it's not an easy day's work for them and those systems and. Some of the products that were there were only making it that much harder it does obviously present itself as an opportunity because you know where there's problems there are potential solutions and i do actually think it's, it's a it's a sector that's ripe for kind of digital transformation so i expect a lot of growth there in the next couple of years
0: do you think there's a challenge there that when you go and spend time with clinicians with patients doing discovery asking them about systems you're sort of raising mm-hmm. expectations in a way um, because you're helping a digital team buy a new system. But often the new systems aren't that much better than the old systems. So I wonder, so I've got a question for you about that, but then also about there's intrinsic usability, the UX of a user experience and the interface, but there's also how it's implemented. And those are slightly different things. So you might have a user interface that maybe isn't as good as it could be, but you've done a really good implementation and therefore people have accepted and made use of the product. Or you could have a yeah. great UI, but actually you didn't go yeah. about doing the implementation <laughs> and people don't really pick it up. I just I just wonder what you think yeah. about, um, about sort of UI, UX versus just really solid implementation.
1: Uh, I'll tell you this. I've built products before on time. You know, engineering, technically speaking, they were very high standards in terms of UI UX were beautiful, probably maybe one of the most beautiful products I've ever built. It had one user. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so what was going and on? The, what was going on? <laughs>
1: the, yeah, exactly. So that was like my really hard lesson in terms of something we spoke about earlier today, which is around that value risk, right? Users will use something no matter how horrible it looks, but if you're solving your problem, Properly, and it means they find value in that, I promise you they will continue to use that solution, right, or that UIUX. UX. So I guess just to be very pointed, UIUX is extremely important because it does kind of release more value for users, right? It enables their kind of user journey and their experience to be a lot smoother and could potentially be like a unique kind of value prop, right, over competitors. But one of the things that I found, actually, when when I was working for the NHS was systems for example there would be a new system that would be implemented for for an entire new kind of arm of of the hospital without having done any kind of user research Um, and there was kind of zero adoption right and if anything it just made their lives harder because it's a new system that they have no idea about and which they have to somehow use so i guess just to your point whether it's around kind of functionality or kind of ui ux the most important thing is to engage Um, with your potential users, try and understand what their pain points are, try and understand their user journey and then figure out if your UI, UX actually matches that. Does it take away from that? Does it augment it? The the entire point of of that UI, UX would be, I hope, to, to make their lives easier, right? So that, you know, all the functionality you want to kind of build into that, how you want to present it, how they use the product will ultimately all increase their own value or the sense of value that they're getting from it as opposed to well, hey, here's a really beautiful product we think it has or you need. Um, we're not really sure, but kind of here you go. Um, and I think that's another issue that I saw quite a lot. So uh, again, another opportunity to to kind of tackle.
0: So even when you're buying a product, so you're not making the product, you're not ha- having it built, you still need to do that discovery you still need to understand user needs because there's always some configuration as well. But also you need to make sure that all that insight then goes into the next phase. And I, I guess that's another question for you. How often... When you, see, you do those discovery projects for a client, do you feel that they properly translate it into or leverage it into the next phase? Because I think one of the things I sometimes worry about is doing really good bits of discovery or user research that never properly get used or taken to the next phase and 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 if that is the case how do you mitigate that happening
1: I think it's more than anything I think it might be a mindset shift right I think in terms of how we build products we're all very used to, to waterfall right in terms of here's a list of 100 things that I've discovered that you need and unless I implement these 100 things then this product isn't kind of going to be valuable to you and that creates a lot of anxiety because you need to implement these 100 things I think the, the better way to kind of look at it is to say, well, we've understood our users a bit. We've kind of identified some pain points and we have some user requirements. What is the most important thing that we want to do first? And that immediately allows you to kind of alleviate some of that pressure and anxiety, right? And, you, uh, and just in terms of kind of strategy, you can focus on those things, the highest value things. And that works for users as well, because in terms of return on investment, that's where they're going to see the most value initially, right? That, that will solve their immediate problems. If you can deliver, if you can deliver that slice first, um, hopefully with obviously some user testing as well, just to, to validate if you can deliver that slice first, what then allows you to do is to release some value and actually learn from it. Um, and that's when things like kind of product analytics kind of come into play and just customer interviews. You release something out there. How are people interacting with it? What are they using? What are they not using? Have they potentially cut, you know, are they potentially facing new issues or new problems? And that, that allows you to kind of then iterate on the product and introduce kind of new features of functionality Um, To meet those needs It might be that you actually Never go back to your list Of 100 requirements That you had Funny enough It might be that you do But I think the point I'm trying to drive home there Is just If we change our mindset Away from uh, Yeah I've identified All these things Now I have to just find A way to squeeze them All into this delivery If you just focus On what the most Important things are um, And release that first It gives you the opportunity To kind of take a step back Kind of evaluate And kind of then Iterate on the product To make sure That you're always of investing in everyone's time and efforts into the things that matter most.
0: I always um, remember in the early days, like back in 2014, when I was first working in digital health and we were building some mobile apps, we were way too swayed by what everybody wanted. And it just became some huge list. And everything ultimately always becomes this big system that nobody can use. And and actually, I can think of one We spent ages building a mobile app for eating disorders, patients and staff. And actually, I went back a couple of years later to see them, and they were using WhatsApp. (laughs) They ditched the app, the app didn't give them the value they wanted, and they just wanted something much more simple, which was a communication tool. So I think there's a real lesson there in focusing on the fundamentals, finding out when people start to complain or not be happy, and that's when you might think about the next feature or function yeah does that resonate exactly
1: that, that is exactly right. I'm smiling I'm not sure if it was a podcast, no one can see my face, but i' I'm, I'm, I'm smiling I'm smiling It kind of air to air. that that's, that resonates a lot and I think that's exactly it is ultimately you're trying to it still comes back to this like hedging your risks right hedging those your risks around kind of value and viability yeah yeah what can you do to 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 kind of reduce those risks so rather than as you say like implementing this massive thing you know your point what do you need right now you need a communications piece oh, okay a communications tool or feature do that first and then kind of take it from there so yeah I think there are probably a lot of people who are listening who might be listening now who probably also resonates for I think we've kind of all kind of been there and, and kind of experienced that at one stage or the other but yeah absolutely
0: mm-hmm. and and just sort of building on that point about product and I guess the build versus buy sort of conversation that we've been having just in your in your role i guess often in your current role you're being commissioned to do some discovery and then build something but there must come a point where it's like do we build this ourselves or actually is there a product and it's more cost effective for us to buy something just just talk a little bit about how you might help a client work that out
1: yeah absolutely i have a recent example actually that'll be good for this so i I won't name any clients but we were kind of up against the wall in terms of trying to make a decision around a CMS or a content management system, right? Do we want to build this? Do we want to buy this? Um, And this conversation went on for a while, kind of RFPs and requirements and all kinds of, you know, really long Excel sheets with what's needed being kind of thrown all over the place. Can you do this? You know, will your solution do this? All very hypothetical as well. The solution, Was actually to go ahead I guess in this It may not be the same solution all the time But in this instance The solution that we came up with Actually was to actually go ahead And build something So talk about value risks right One of the quickest ways to To kind of determine if people Will actually pay you for something is not necessarily to go and ask Because people will sell eyes to an Eskimo right But one of the quickest ways to do that Is to actually give a solution and, And quantitatively see what people so we decided the best thing to do here, instead of just kind of talking about it and being kind of very hypothetical, is let's build something in the dress form of what I think our MVP is, which is a prototype. Something that doesn't scale, something that we know is not technically sound, something that we know we're not going to share with the business or for anyone to use. But let's build this in, in four weeks, which it took us four weeks to build and use that as a decision point as to whether, actually, do we want to, from what we discovered through that process, actually, is it better to build or buy? It did give us the answer that we needed. I think at the end of the fourth week, it became very, very clear that the the best path forward was to buy an off-the-shelf product. And it wasn't largely because of functionality or ability to build features. Funny enough, that decision came around because of risks um, from a legal perspective, risks from a data kind of management perspective those were kind of the two kind of forerunners for why we decided to go off the shelf it's just why not pick a company who you know has had a cms for the last kind of 20 years and have all these things and in place for regulators etc as opposed to building something and kind of then making those kind of large mistakes along the way which would be very costly to the business so i think just by doing something, deciding to take an action to actually to, to test that assumption, right? Instead of leaving it being hypothetical, we decided to test. And as a result of that, we were able to kind of walk away with a more informed decision, which was just unanimous. There was no need to kind of, you know, make a case or sway one way or the other. It was It was very clear what we needed to do.
0: That's such a fascinating example because often we try and solve them a problem by talking about it. <laughs> but actually what you're describing is doing something that then starts to like the problem surface and then you start to have to grapple with them. And that helps you get to a point. So, I mean, I think even when you're pretty sure you're going to buy something, prototyping, doing your user research, prototyping is a really good way for you to understand what your requirements are that you can then take to the market if you choose to go down that route.
1: Exactly. Uh, that's something I, I forgot to mention, actually. So you're, you're spot on. On top of all of everything I said, it actually did also give us user requirements. It helped us know what kind of features we, we needed, what was going to work, wasn't going to work for the business. And to your point, actually aided that discussion. So right, so we decided to go off the shelf, well, what do we want? And because we've gone through this process and we're able to kind of establish those requirements, those decisions in terms of who to kind of partner with was also made a lot easier. So yeah, absolutely.
0: Mm, Nice. So Kun, we were almost coming to the end of our time. I've got one last question to ask you, which I always like to ask everybody, which is thinking about the world of product. And I guess just Sort of drawing on the experience you've had with the NHS and some of those sort of challenges that you saw and, and potential opportunities, what's one small thing we could do from a product perspective that would have like a, a really big sort of impact on just improving the user experience, improving digital systems and improving for patients and for citizens and for NHS colleagues, decent systems that people enjoy using and help them do their jobs and manage their lives better?
1: Great question. I think just based on my experience, I would still come back to to kind of product discovery and kind of user research, but not, and I want to be very clear on this, not not just the one time. I think that's another gap that I, I discovered as well was, yeah, it's easy to kind of to come that one time, right, and do that initial discovery up front and speak to users, get everyone excited, as you say, kind of promise a lot of things, you know, potentially build their portion of that. But then what? In two years' time, that same product that you've built is going to just add to the, to, the, to the stack of legacy systems that they're already having to kind of deal with. So solution to this is continuous discovery in whatever kind of form or shape that that works in that context, right? So most people, so Tersitoris defines kind of continuous discovery as um, having at least one touch point every week with a customer. Uh, at least once a week, right? Speak to at least one customer. If that's through a customer interview, if that's if you're looking at data, however you kind of shape that up. And what that does is, a lot of you know things that we kind of spoken about in this call, is it allows you and allows the product team, the designers, and everyone on there to continuously be up to date with the context of the user, right? What new challenges they might be facing how what we've released is kind of going down with them Uh, is it moving the mark is it helping to solve those problems are there new problems that we can identify and just by doing that you're staying up to date and that allows you at any point in time to not only build like a, a future kind of backlog of opportunities to solve for right but it just gives you that domain knowledge you know you have going back to what I said very early in the call in terms of Having a very deep understanding of your user, this is the way to, to to go about it. It gives you that deep knowledge of your user and your customer, and makes you more than anything. Also, gives that context to the rest of the team, and gives them the drive and the desire to want to be compassionate about these problems, almost as, as though it's their own. And that gives that team the drive to go ahead and solve those in innovative ways. So that's that's what I would say.
0: I love it. Thank you so much, Keikumi. Listen, it's been an absolute delight having you on my podcast today. Where, where can people find you online? Can they find you on LinkedIn?
1: On link, You can find me on LinkedIn. You can find me on Twitter. My Twitter is extremely professional, fair enough. Um, <laughs> but yeah, those would be uh, two, two, two top places. Uh, you can find me on LinkedIn at Keikumi Shogo. Um, you can find me on Twitter at Keikumi Shogo as well.
0: Thank you so much. Really appreciate your time today.
1: Absolutely. Thanks, Victoria. Speak soon.
0: Thank you for listening to the Digital Ecology Podcast. Please like, subscribe and review by the usual channels. My book Towards Digital Health Ecology is available via Amazon and you can find me on Twitter, LinkedIn and Medium at Victoria Betton.